Today we're going to talk about joy comes in the morning as we think about Thanksgiving. And uh, it's always at this time I try to reflect on a psalm. So if you want to take your Bible, turn over to Psalm 30. We'll get there in just a few moments. Psalm 30, joy comes in the morning. So as we think about Thanksgiving, and I run into people all the time, and I don't want to be too stereotypical, but I kind of find out there's a couple ways that people look at things. There's a group of people out there who look at themselves as self-reliant, independent. They got everything under their control, they think, and uh, that they don't need God. They don't need to be even grateful or thankful to other people as well. But then I see a, a Opposite that, another group of people who realize that in and of themselves, they can't accomplish everything. They can't control everything. They have to be dependent upon the Father in heaven for grace and mercy and truth and love to help them, to sustain them through this thing we call life. I think it's important that we understand and we look at our lives because praise comes in numerous ways. Praise is powerful if you think about it. Some of the ways that we can praise as we think about God is reciting God's word to others and reciting God's word back to him, memorizing it, hiding in our own hearts through singing, which we've just experienced together, through prayer, through giving of our time and our talents and our treasures and giving God the glory for all that happens. Praise begins and ends with God because he is so worthy of our praise. And at this Thanksgiving time, we should stop and thank God for who he is. I think that's something that's important. We often want to seek God's hand of blessing, but do we seek his face of holiness and appreciate his attributes and who he is? Then we thank God for what he's done in our lives personally. And then we thank God for what he's doing through us in our lives to impact other people around us and for his kingdom. As I've said before, we need at times to praise our way out of the doldrums, out of the darkness, out of the trials and the tribulations. There's power in praise. And God is working in our lives, no matter where we are in the midst of our circumstances, to conform us and to shape us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, if we know him as our personal savior. God commands us to praise and thank him no matter the circumstances. Think about some of the promises in God's word. This one, first of all, actually is a command in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That doesn't mean you thank God for the circumstances you're in all the time, but it means that whatever circumstance you're in, we are to give thanks because we're always in his care, we're always in his protection, and he always has our best interests in mind. The alternative to this verse is to be anxious, to be self-centered, to be discouraged, to be despondent without hope. If everything depends on ourselves and that we don't look up to the one who can help us in our time of need. That's why Philippians 4, 6 and 7, I'm sure it's a passage of scripture you've turned to many times in your life. It says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That as we turn our burdens, our cares, our anxieties over 
to him that he will give us that peace that passes all understanding, that goes beyond what sometimes is logical. And when we praise God, we change our perspective and the burdens are all lifted off of us. We know that it all does not depend on us, but on God who can work in his way, in his time, for his honor and for his glory. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties or your cares or your burdens on him because he cares for you. So let's turn now to Psalm 30. Psalm 30, we'll read verses 1 through 5 as we go verse by verse through this chapter. Psalm 30, verse 1 says, I will extol or I will exalt you, O Lord, for you've drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you've brought me up from, brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you as saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Let me give you a little background about this. You see probably in your Bible, uh, a postscript, a heading over the top, and it may say a Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. Now, they're not exactly sure when that was put in. Uh, that's just a postscript. That's not the inspired word of God, but it's to point us to what the subject matter was for that time. We know it, you know, temple or house is used, intertwined in the Hebrew language, but we know David did not build the temple. Solomon built it later, so it couldn't have been the dedication of that temple. It wasn't the dedication of David's palace. Some think it might have been a prophecy that they would use, that David would write down and use uh, when Solomon built the temple. But later, really what they think it is, is this psalm was sung by the Jews who had been in exile in Babylon and had returned back to Jerusalem. And that the psalm may have been used at that time to dedicate the rebuilding of the temple in 515 before the common era. The reason of this use was backed up by Jewish tradition. The Jews continue to sing this psalm, Psalm 30, as they uh, celebrate Hanukkah, which is coming up on November 28th through December 6th. And you remember, maybe you remember the story, but between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Greeks were in charge of Israel and they refused to let Israel practice their feasts and their festivals and their uh, worship celebrations. And so they had the Maccabeans uh, was able to gain a victory and reclaim the temple for themselves. And then they relit the light that was in the temple with the oil and they thought that the oil would only last one day. And Hanukkah celebrates the fact that eight days the lights burned and that's why there's eight candles on the menorah because it was a miraculous event. And so they sing Psalm 30 as part of their celebration. Regardless of exactly this, why that postscript's there, the motive of this psalm is the praise of God for his wonderful works on behalf of God's people. You see that in verses 1 and 12. This is called a psalm of inclusion. It begins and ends the same way. It begins with the same words, and then the content in the middle reemphasizes that phrase in verse 1, and then he comes back to the end, verse 2. The outline of the psalm could be like this. The praise for God's wonderful works 
God's favor and anger, and then the praise for God's wonderful works. Let's look at your outline and let's uh, look at this first point of praise. Praise for God's marvelous works. Praise for God's marvelous works. First, we're going to look at his hand of protection. His hand of protection. Psalm 30, verse 1, it says, I will extol or I will exalt you, O Lord, for you've drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Talking here about exalting all the attributes of God that you can imagine. Think about his omnipotence, his power, his omnipresence, that he's everywhere. His omniscience, his ability to know all things. And on and on we could describe his attributes. It's an attitude of thankfulness because God displays his grace and favor on those who follow him. He pours out his love on us, showing us just how much he loves us and how valuable we are. We are made of infinite worth in his sight. Notice the second part of verse 1 of Psalm 30. The exalted one, David just praised, is the same God who stoops down to pull his servant out of the pit, much like a servant taking a bucket and lowering it down into a deep well and bringing up the water. God is pulling David up from the grips of death. And that's what God does when he saves us. He reaches down in the depths of our sins and he brings us to him to save us. This week we had the opportunity to uh, see some of our kids in Awana come to faith in Christ as I shared in my prayer time there in offering. And there's this little boy, his name's Keegan, and uh, I just love talking to Keegan because every week he's just like a sponge. He's just soaking it in. We think that he found out about us through the door hangers that we put out at the end of July for VBS. But we know he came to VBS, and my wife gave him all the posters that were left over, and he's plastered them on the walls of his bedroom. So he's been coming to Iwana, and last week, during the lesson, he stood up and said, I do not know Jesus. And so we had the opportunity to share the gospel this week. In fact, I changed the whole lesson because of Keegan, and we shared the gospel, and afterward he went to one of the leaders and he prayed to receive Christ. And what was so cool about it was afterward, he came up to me, he says, thank you, pastor, for teaching me about God. Thank you for teaching me about God. So he lives in this neighborhood near us. So thank you for those who put the door hangers out. Thank you for vacation Bible school. All those things were instrumental in seeing him come to faith in Christ. Well, the Jews did not talk much in the Psalms about the afterlife. In Psalm 139, it talks about God being everywhere, even in the depths of the earth, alluding to a hell, a place of eternal torment. But the Jews, though, had to deal with the myths of the end of the world experiences by the other religions around them. The Persians were living at that time, and they were practicing Zoroastrianism, and they believed that there was a hell that would last for 900 years, there would be a heaven as well, and then these seosheons, these priests, would come and purify and destroy uh, all evil and release these people from hell, and they would start all over with their religion once again. You had Baal, you had Molech, you had Ashtarok going on at that time. You had Egyptian myths of the afterlife with their mummies. But the Jews in the Psalms focused more on the celebration of life with the promises God gave to them rather than focus on life after death. You see, they had a covenant life or a life of unconditional promise where they were living under the protection and blessing of God because they viewed him as their king. 
Notice at the end of verse 1 there in Psalm 30, have not let my foes rejoice over me. David was not only concerned about his own health, he was not only concerned about what experience he was going through uh, from the pain of the consequences of his sin, which we'll see in a moment, but he was concerned about God's testimony to the world. He says, you did not let my enemies gloat over or be joyous over me. Notice he says in verse 11 that you clothed me with joy in contrast as God pulled him up from his uh, consequences of sin and his near-death experience of dying from whatever that was. We see another thing under this point, his hand of restoration. God's hand of restoration. Verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you've healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. I love that phrase, O Lord my God. What he's literally saying is, O Lord my God, speaking about the intimate relationship that he had with the Father. Of course, in the Hebrew, that's Yahweh. So he says, the great I am, you are my God, and I lay claim to you because of the promises of God that you have given to me. I don't know for you, I don't know what your life is like. For, for me personally, as I grow in my faith, as I continue on this journey, I begin to understand and accept more and more of how God answers prayers the way that he desires. When I was a young Christian, I would think that God, if I did X, Y, and Z, God would answer this prayer in a certain way that I wanted him to. It's kind of like praying like a vending machine, right? If I do this, this, and this, it's going to turn out the way I want. But I've learned over the years, as I've matured and grown in my experience with God, that he has a bigger plan and a better plan. That I look back over some of the things that I prayed for and I thought I really wanted that God didn't give me. It was because he had something far better for me down the road. And that's what I think David's realizing here. Oh, Lord, my God, I lay claim on the promises to care for me as a child. Well, David was healed in these verses. Speaking of that, restored. The healing ends the gloating of his enemies. And Satan and the world, they love to gloat over Christians who face difficulties or the revelation of their flaws out in the open. It seems for the non-believer to prove that their lifestyle is okay. Sometimes for the non-believer, it makes them feel like that God doesn't see good and evil, that he doesn't reward those who are following him in his teachings. And sometimes when they see a believer going through trials and tribulations or consequences from their sin, it makes them feel like that they will not be judged for their sin. But just because you live right before the Lord, it doesn't exempt you from trials and tribulations. Another thing that I've learned over the years, first, I think it was the second year that uh, I was here, I've been here 12 years, and uh, my son Daniel, who's here today, we were coming back from church after Awana and youth group. And uh, we were listening to Caleb on the radio, and we were just rejoicing. And we're going along, and just south of LeClaire, this little deer pulled out in front of us and wiped out the front of our car. And I'm like, really, God? Like, really? Like, we just came back from church. We're just praising you. We're listening, you know. And so the thing is, we just think that if we're doing all the right things, that we're not going to face trials and tribulations. But that's not the way it is. I think about our dear sister, Donna McCauley. Talked to Dale and Dale McCauley on Friday, and, and Donna began her first chemo treatment to treat cancer in her ovaries and in her liver. And uh, I think about them as they left here, went to the Timothy Initiative to 
be there at the headquarters in Raleigh, North Carolina. Both of them working for this ministry that's trying to expand the gospel around the world and plant churches where people have never even heard the name of Christ. Why does God put somebody in that situation? Why do they have to have, go through this thing of cancer? Well, it's because God wants to not only uh, have us go through that and draw closer to him, but to show the world around us as we praise him, even in the midst of those trials and tribulations, that God is real, that God is at work, that God is restoring. David goes against his human nature to complain about his situation and be a victim by praising and exalting God. He answers the enemies, the non-believers' false perceptions. He's saying here in verses 2 and 3, God is God and he can do whatever he desires with us. He will discipline his followers out of love, but then restores them back to relationship with him with tender love, mercy, and compassion. So our application here is this. We are in awe of the power of God at work in our lives. To put it simply, we should be in awe at the power and the work of God in our lives, especially at this time of thanksgiving. We praise God second of all. The second main point is that we praise God for God's favor and anger. For God's favor and anger. Look at verses 4 through 7 of Psalm 30. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. David now moves from individual praise of God to corporate worship of praise, of celebration in worship with others. Notice the word saints there in verse 4. Those who have been loyal to the Lord, the promised ones from God's covenant promises that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12 and chapter 12 and chapter 15. He says, give thanks to his holy name. Holy name is the proclamation of God's acts of saving his people in conjunction with his name, Yahweh, the great I am. And notice in these verses, the contrasts. In verse five, anger is but for a moment or short-lived. Short-lived is the blank there. His favor is eternal, eternal. And so we need to gain that perspective as we go through life. That if we turn away from God, if we get involved in sin, if we're separated from God, he will bring consequences into our life. But guess what? As we'll see in a moment, he's more than willing because of his unconditional love to welcome us back in with forgiveness. In verse 5, weeping lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. One more contrast in these verses. In verse 6, you see firm but in contrast, in verse 7, God hid his face and David was dismayed. These verses describe the depths of God's care for each of us and all the benefits of depending on him. Why was God angry with David? Well, he was afflicted in his chapter by punishment for his self-reliant and independent spirit of pride. He was wealthy. The country was at peace. Things were prospering. He felt totally secure in and of himself. He got to the place where he became a practical atheist in many ways. He just kind of thought it was all about him. 
And look at verse 6. He said, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. He was saying, I'm invincible. I have the world by the tail. I'm in control of my life. I am the master of my fate and the captain of my ship. But God afflicted him. He was cocky. He was arrogant. And as a result of his pride, he went out and performed a census. He counted the people after God told him not to do that. And as a result of his uh, sin against God, 70,000 Jews died in a plague. Remember David's pride. I will never be moved or shaken. Verse 5 says, weeping may endure for the night. As he was going through the punishment, the consequences for his sin. Have you ever been up all night? God convicting you, making you feel guilty about something you've done. And God's working in you and you know you need to uh, go and ask for forgiveness or restore it. But you can't do it in the middle of the night. And so... The night is long, and the night is something you endure, and it's something that you're just thinking about on your mind that you've got to go and, and get this right. But the good news is that the, at the dawn, at the end of that all, the joy comes in the morning when we get the opportunity to do and restore. Because David turned from his sin, God restored him. Notice in verse 7, he says, dismayed. It means that he was disturbed. He was terrified. He was someone who trembled at God because he understood the depth of his sin. We see in verse 7 that by God's favor and God's grace that God restored David to himself. Favor means that renewal of love, that acceptance, that delight, that desire God has to forgive and restore. And the restoration process started with God seeking out David. Punishment out of love to draw David back to himself, but then also showing love by accepting and forgiving him, welcoming back in. He wanted, God did, to develop dependency and a deeper intimate relationship with David once again. Lamentations 3 says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You and I have to come to the place where we daily acknowledge and live in dependency upon God. I try every morning when I wake up, even before I get out of bed, to thank God for the new day. Thank you, God, that I'm going to be vertical, I'm breathing air, and I'm able to eat, okay? That's the first thing. It all comes from him, right? But then thank him for who he is and our dependency upon him. You see, in my weakness, God shows his strength. Depending on God makes us strong and ready for any situation. To be able to handle any temptation, any tribulation, any suffering that's going to come into our lives. The application here is that we are in awe of God's perfection and balance within his attributes. That's what we see here. We see a balance of his anger and his grace and his favor. And he knows exactly how much to give at what time to draw us to that intimate relationship with him. I hope that this week, as you think and reflect about God's goodness, that you think about the perfection and the balance of his attributes. Lastly, we praise God for his merciful deliverance of our souls. Praise for God's merciful deliverance. His forbearing or his enduring help. And we all need his help, if we're honest. In Psalm 30, verses 8 through 10, 
The psalmist said, David wrote, to you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. We can take a lesson from verses 8 through 10 as they apply to our lives when we face God's loving discipline in our life, or we have the trials and tribulations that come upon us. And he brings all that to build character and to make us more into the image of Jesus Christ. Notice he says there, I cry, I plead. And in the tense of the verbs there, the words there, he's saying, I keep crying out for you. I keep calling out to you. It's not a one-time thing. God will be praised as a faithful God if David would be delivered. That's how David's motivation and his thought process was working. The testimony of deliverance would close the mouths of the cynics, the skeptics, and the mockers against God. A great verse, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 121. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. And what's significant about that first verse is that they would put the God's altars up high for Ashtaroth and Baal and Molech. And when people wanted help serving these idols, they would look up to these either statues or these altars of sacrifice. And David saying here in Psalm 121, look beyond those things to the one who is the true maker of heaven and earth, the Lord God himself. David asked God at the end of verse 10 to be a continual helper to him. What do you do and where do you turn when you're facing tremendous stress or anguish in your life? Who do you turn to or what do you turn to when you've blown it big time, when you've done something wrong and you know it? That's why I like Luke 15, because that whole chapter is about God's unconditional love. It says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one lost sinner who comes to faith in Christ. It talks about the prodigal son and the father. I can just picture him out on the porch every night as his son had left with part of the inheritance and went away and squandered it. He's out there every night looking down the road, waiting for his son to come. And finally, his son returns and he runs down and embraces him. That's the picture of God restoring us in relationship to him. And the last thing we'll see today is his exuberant gift of joy. God's exuberant gift of joy. Verses 11 and 12, as we finish this chapter, David says, You, God, have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I think it's interesting that in the Greek, joy The root word for joy comes from the same root word for gift. Joy is a gift that sustains through thick and thin, unlike happiness. Happiness, as the saying goes, can be fleeting. We see here in verses 11, 12, that David returns to his theme of praise. Notice he says, mourning. I no longer have to grieve over my sin. Sackcloth, the picture of putting on sackcloth and pouring ashes on your head is a sign of repentance or turning away from your sin. And now you're clothing me with gladness. You're allowing me to dance with joy. These examples show us the goodness of God, and we need to drink deeply from it. 
The world around us needs to see goodness on display in our lives each and every day. Notice in verse 12 that David ends the psalm where he began. Verse 12 says that my glory may sing your praise. Glory here is talking not about the glory of God, but the soul or the will of man or the seat of emotions or where humans make their decisions. In other words, he's emphasizing here that we are to praise God with our entire being. Because God has delivered us from trials and tribulations, because he has saved us from the grave, spiritually speaking, and is bringing us to heaven one day, we are to worship God with our entire being, our emotions, our mind, our bodies. John Calvin in the Institutes of the Christian Religion said this about this passage, but however much God may terrify and humble his faithful servants with manifold signs of his displeasure, he always besprinkles them with the sweetness of his favor to moderate and assuage or soothe or calm their grief. The balance again of God and how he treats his people. Here's the application. We are in awe that God's that God gifts us with mercy and joy. I hope you're in awe of that. I hope you take in and drink deeply of the idea that God pours out his mercy on us daily. He gives us joy to endure whatever we're going through. He gives us happiness at times, but that happiness is not permanent, but the joy is always there. God always uses his people, those who trust and believe in him, as a means to bring glory to himself as we praise him, praise him continually, we must. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. As we close today, here's the key thought. I hope this week that you use the gift of praise this Thanksgiving that our Heavenly Father has given to us because he is so worthy of our praise. Sometimes we just think, is it worth it anymore to live the Christian life? But trust me, it is so worth it because he is so worthy of our praise. And ultimately, our goal is to honor and glory, uh, honor and glorify him in all that we do and say and point people to him as well. I close with this story. It's about the first Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving at Plymouth Colony. Think of that little band of people who crossed the Atlantic in a boat that was 26 Feet by 112 feet. Think about that. And landed on the New England coast during a bitter cold winter. At times that first year, the daily ration of those who were well was only five grains of corn. In early New England, it was the custom at Thanksgiving time to place five kernels of corn at every plate as a reminder of those stern days in the first winter when the food of the pilgrims was so depleted that only five kernels of corn were rationed to each individual at a time. The Pilgrim Fathers wanted their children to remember the sacrifice, the sufferings, and hardships through which they had safely passed, a fitting hardship that made possible the settlement of a free people in a free land. They wanted to keep alive the memory of that 63-day trip taken in that tiny Mayflower ship. They desired to keep alive the thought of that stern and rock-bound coast, its inhospitable welcome in the first terrible winter which took such a toll of lives. They did not want their descendants to forget that on that day in which the rations was reduced to five kernels of corn, only seven healthy colonists remained to nurse the sick, and that nearly half their members lay in the windswept graveyard up on the hill. 
They worked seven years to repay London for the loan for their trip. That was before the days of credit cards. After suffering every kind of hardship, they had a harvest of 21 acres of corn in the fall of 1621. They immediately offered thanks to God for his blessings. This little group led by Governor William Bradford marched triumphantly through the cornfield singing, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Then they sat down to a meal in gladness and joy. They were giving thanks to God no matter what. They were giving thanks to God no matter what. As we think about our celebration, whatever, whenever it is this week or next, may we be reminded of that story and that we're the continuation of what began back there in 1621. Here's some questions for you to think about this week. What are some practical ways that you will celebrate and praise God this week with your family and friends? I've seen a lot of practical ways to do things with your kids and your grandkids. What are some things that maybe you will do? Maybe you'll sit around the table and before you uh, pray for the meal, share something you're thankful for. Maybe it's a gathering afterward where you sit out in the living room or the family room and share. How will you celebrate and praise God this week? How can you continue with an attitude of gratitude throughout the upcoming Christmas season? Right after Thanksgiving, we can get so caught up in the hustle and the bustle of you know, cards and gifts and baking and decorating and all these things. How will you continue with an attitude of gratitude throughout that Christmas season? And then will you take some time this week to make a list of God's attributes and praise him for them and how they have worked out in your life? Let's bow for prayer. As we pray today, I just want you to pause for a moment and maybe you're here today and maybe you've been dealing with, uh, with some ingratitude. That you've been upset about maybe the circumstances that you find yourself in. And ultimately you're a little bit upset with God as to what's been happening in your life. And today you want to just turn that attitude around and praise him for who you are. Praise him for life. Praise him for the gift of life. I'll give you a moment, and maybe you're here today, and then you're that place. Just ask God to forgive you and help you to refocus and to get the perspective of praising him. And as we go to prayer, we're just grateful for our salvation. The fact that we were born into this world with sin that we were separated from God, but Jesus came and lived a perfect life and became the Lamb of God, the sacrifice on the cross. He shed his blood and he took on the wrath and the anger of God to be the substitute for our sin so that we can ask him to forgive us and cleanse us of our sin and have him as our Savior. And maybe you're here today, if you don't know Christ personally as your Savior and you want to be sure of that, see myself or one of the elders after the service. Father, we come to you today and we just thank you. We thank you for this beautiful fall day that you've given us. We thank you for the beautiful color of leaves that we saw in the trees in recent weeks. And Lord, for the changing of seasons. And Lord, no matter what season we are in, Lord, you teach us how to, to be thankful, to be grateful, that you have something for us to learn 
that you have a, a deeper way that we can grow in our walk with you as we walk through the various seasons of our life, that we're never out of your care, that even when we blow it and we turn away from you, that you will draw us back to yourself with your unconditional love. Oh, Father, we have so many things that we can be thankful for and praise you today. May we continue to do that through the rest of the service and even tonight and throughout this week. We pray and ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.